Lord God, as we pause to reflect upon something of your nature, grant us your Spirit's help to know you better. Amen. A few years ago, the discovery of a tenth planet in our solar system, Saverna, was heralded by scientists, but agitated astrologers. It's hardly surprising. If the star charts on which so many base their lives and how they're going to be and what's happening to them are suddenly charted on inaccurate stellar information, how can you believe what's predicted? God's justice isn't like that. God's justice is laid out beforehand for all to see and know. Here is the way I want you to travel. This is the road I want you to tread. This is the way of life I want you to undertake. And God is constant and his justice constant. Unchanging, not in the sense of solidity, but in the sense of essence. Uh, if I tell you a story this evening that I may well tell again next week, unashamedly, uh, because it brings ridicule to me. Uh, but uh, a long, 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 long time ago, when I left school believing that I would be a caterer, until in the very summer when I left school and then started college to learn to be a catering manager and a chef. Yes, I know. Got converted and then God shifted my direction somewhat. But I still went to college to learn to be a caterer and we had the French culinary system in the, in the, uh, in the working kitchens of the college. And we had a, a tyrannical, a tyrannical uh, chef and every week we had to spend two practical days doing a different job in the kitchen. So one week you could be the washer-up, and the next week you could be the second-in-command of all the, all the kitchen, and you were marked each week, and you did different roles. So I remember distinctly being, for instance, the vegetable chef. And if you were in charge of something, you had what were called commies, and they were the other members of the, uh, of the college group, whose job it was that week to just simply take instructions and deliver the practical business of putting on a meal. And we provided each working day a meal for 140 people who used to come in and have a very cheap, good meal in the college. This particular week, I was the sommelier, which uh, means I was there, I was doing all the stuff to do with the vegetables and overseeing all sorts of things like this. And I had two commies, one of whom didn't turn up. So the only person I had with me was Susan, who is indelibly printed on my mind simply because of this story. And the exotic vegetable, ha-ha, that week was choufleur mornay, cauliflower in cheese sauce, flashed in a, a mornay sauce, flashed underneath the grill so it's nice and bubbly, and it's therefore served 120 portions of it. So we, we steam the cauliflower florets until they're just about ready. 
And then I say to my commie, Susan, I say, go get the cheese sauce. So she disappears, uh, the cheese for the cheese sauce. So she disappears and comes back with a huge tray of cheese and we throw it into this several-gallon thing of uh, uh, sauce, white sauce. And then, as you know, the the cheese dissolves and the colour changes. We tip it onto these long dishes of cauliflower, flash it underneath the grill. It turns lovely and brown and bubbly, and just one minute before we're meant to be finished, we put them in the bain-marie's, we stand back and we think, we've done it. And we've been examined all morning by the tyrannical head of the, chef, of the kitchen. The restaurant opens, people start to come in from the streets, and then about half past 12, we'd opened at 12 o'clock, all of a sudden, the tyrannical leader of the kitchen comes in and says, Atkins! And I sort of timidly go to the front of the thing, and he slams a plate down in front of me and gets a spoon out from his top pocket and says, Taste that! And I tasted my choufleur Mornay, and it was the most ghastly thing I'd ever tasted in my life. To cut to the quick, what dipstick Susan, my commie, had done was to go into the back room and grate 16 pounds of industrial soap cleaner. Which actually dissolves in white sauce and turns brown when you put it under, flash it under the grill. But is not what you really want in the restaurant. Now, this is the point. Susan got 8 out of 10 for doing what she's told. I got none out of ten because, quote, you should have tried it before you sent it out into the restaurant. I was livid. God's justice is not like that. Each shall be held accountable for their own actions. Well, if that's what God's justice is not like, what is God's justice like? And I want to just reflect on that this evening. The first thing is this, justice is part of who God is. Image is everything. The image of just people who then are revealed by newspapers or whatever to become tyrants. We can easily get the justice of God and the image of God wrong. Some Christians today, for instance, balk at the notion that a just God demands his pound of flesh by forcing or insisting that Jesus, his son, pays the price for sin. In other words, you set up this picture that God is the tyrant who is instructing the son to undertake this task who has no option. Whereas, in fact, it's the willingness of Jesus... And the notion that Jesus himself is God incarnate that are actually so necessary to understanding the doctrine of God's justice. Because they focus for us not on a tyrannical, unreasonable God who demands certain things of his son, but a God who comes and does the business for those who can't do it for themselves. God self-sending in Jesus, if you like, the sinless dying for the sinful, that self-giving, justifying, putting right action 
is God's idea of justice. That said, God is a just God and therefore cannot and does not simply ignore evil and suffering and the like. What kind of justice would it be that we simply ignore the actions of terrorists and murderers, for example? God's justice does not remove that there is a penalty or a price to be paid. God does not turn round to those who are evildoers and say, there, there, it's nothing, forget it. Justice is part of who God is. But justice, secondly, is only part of who God is. How frustrating it is if you're a person that really wants a blood and thunder type sermon about God's demanding justice. How frustrating it is to try and find a proof text that says just that. The scriptures are very inconsiderate sometimes. You see, each time you think you've found a passage that tells about the absolute rigor of God to weed out evil and to deal with this and deal with that and deal with the other, it's immediately each passage then goes on to talk, usually in the same paragraph or sentence, about God's mercy and forgiveness and grace. And it's important to see these in relation to one another. One of my former colleagues, I won't tell you in which former circuit or appointment it was, but one of my former colleagues was so unpredictable that staff used to draw lots to go see her first on a Monday morning. The first in the office would either get blasted out or greeted with a wide smile, but you never knew which it was until you actually arrived there. The word would quickly go round the staff room, she's in one of her moods today. So whatever the question you were going to ask, don't ask it on that day if you don't want the answer to be anything other than no. God's justice and mercy and graciousness is not like that. God doesn't suffer from mood schizophrenia. There are not good days to pray to God and bad days to pray to God where the answer is going to be different because God feels in a good or a bad mood. God's justice and mercy and goodness and righteousness are bound up together with who God is constant all the time. And that's why the scriptures cannot and do not separate what we often try and compartmentalise. Today I'm going to talk about the absolute demand of God for righteousness. Beware. If I don't go on to talk about the way in which God makes that possible and the mercy of God making it possible because he doesn't want us to remain in that situation, I've not preached what the gospel holds together. I've rent it apart. So because this just God is God in Christ the justifier. God not only demands justice, but gifts justification by grace through faith. That's what the book of Romans is actually about. Yes, it's true God is just. Yes, it's true you are a sinner. And therefore God will provide the justification for your sin and forgive you and expect you to live differently. 
Romans 101. We can only begin, thirdly, to understand this justice thing more completely with the perspective of the eternal and not just a narrow temporal view. Now, some say that's a cop-out, you know, uh, push everything you don't understand into heaven and one day it will make sense. And I understand how some people might say that, but the fact remains that God's justice makes far more sense when viewed through the lens of eternity rather than trying to be viewed by what happens between Thursday and Friday. When I was small and my younger brother and I had fallen out, I remember once going to see him to try and make amends. It's uncharacteristic for me, but I must have done it at some time. He greeted with me, well, God can't answer prayer. I said, why not? He said, because you're still alive. (laughs) More seriously, what are we to make of those who suffer so terribly in this world of ours? Young friends contracting terminal cancer. People in the prime of their life being snuffed out in a car accident. Or indeed, what are we to make of the apparent Teflon-like existence of some people who seem to do everything wrong, from the chain smoker who lives to be 107 to the rapist who actually gets off scot-free? You see, only an eternal perspective of justice does justice to justice. Some of my family do cross-stitch and tapestry things. And I recall going to the house of my mother-in-law as she was making me a copper. She said, what do you think of my latest tapestry? It was absolutely awful. Lumps of different coloured yarns were all just tied together. There were loose ends everywhere. I couldn't discern any picture whatsoever. So when she came back with the cup, she nodded and I said, well, well, Sylvia, it's different. Is it modern art? What, she said, looking at it. She said, you stupid thing, you've got it the wrong way round. And turned it round and suddenly something made sense of the picture. Now there's a sense in which God's justice is seen best from the back. It's loose and tied up and then only in time for the faithful the front starts to make a picture of sense and grace but we need sometimes a long and even eternal perspective to see that lastly for me just as significant as this thinking is the importance to realize that the justice of God and more particularly the way God deals with justice is embodied in my own discipleship What I mean is, I can't continue to believe in a God who justifies and makes way possible and refuses to divorce the need for justice with the need of grace and mercy and then go about my own discipleship as if those things belong to God and not to me. I can't treat other people in a way that's completely different to the way that God treats me, which enables me to be a Christian disciple in the first instance. It's after conversion, very often, 
that the justice of God begins to bite in a Christian life. We live in a world which is fallen and sinful and ill and corrupt and much less than it could be. And in that world, I am called to be a free sample of God's gracious dealings. To give myself for the processes of redemption and justification, however and in whichever way, I can make that bit of difference. Because I have been redeemed and justified, and it wasn't through any merit of my own. It was a gift I received. And therefore, the only response I can make as natural, ordinary discipleship is to stand for the, with the poor, to fight for the weak, to protect God's planet, to reject all actions that treat people as things or segregate humanity on the basis of class or creed or colour. So there are two simple points tonight, perhaps deceptively simple. Do we realise again the glorious wonder that the God who is just is also the God who is justifier and in Christ justifies us, urging us to turn to him, to follow him, to make him our everything and for our lives to begin to increasingly reflect his life. Secondly, do we realize again that our discipleship, therefore, is measured not only by prayer, not only by fasting, not only by attending worship, but also by how we as justified people work with God for God's justice in the world and wherever we're placed. To inhabit those things is to understand just a little bit better after a long day in September at an evening service what God's idea of justice might be. Amen.